When I, uh, back in 2004, uh, back before we left the Episcopal Church, I had a surgery, a, pre- a kind of preemptive surgery uh, on my colon. It's a long story. You can ask Jose and Adrian about it. They, they remember it well. I performed their wedding ceremony 14 days after the surgery. But I remember the, the, the most astonishing thing about being ill and being sick was that my world became very, very small. And if you've experienced intense um, illness or for a long illness, it's really easy to sort of focus in on yourself and, um, and just be concerned about all that goes with trying to recuperate your, your health. Um, some of you know that even, even in most recent experiences. I say that to remind us that we, in a sense, are all, we're all, all of us in the whole world, it really, are going through this medical crisis that is the pandemic. And in the same way that I think that a a, a personal illness can oftentimes cause us to become very introspective and and sort of lose focus on the greater picture, I think the same thing can be said of this pandemic. Um, And so I I think it's by design, divine design, that the Lord would bring to us scriptures this week that would focus on the others. If you notice the theme in the scriptures, you know, praise the Lord, may all the ends of the earth, may all the nations praise you. It's in our Psalm, Psalm 67. Paul's talking about the Gentiles being grafted into Israel. Um, Of course, that Romans 9 through 11 is all about Paul struggling with why the the Jews as a large group, although obviously Paul was Jewish, but many Jews had rejected Jesus, the Messiah. But Paul sees in that that the the Gentiles are the benefactors of that. And then, of course, we we have uh, Jesus with the Syrophoenician woman who is not a Jewish person. And that whole encounter and her great faith, and she not even being a a person of the Jewish faith, has this incredible faith in Jesus. And then Isaiah, and that's where I really want to focus this morning for a couple of minutes, not very long time, but I, I realize when I come back from vacation, I, sometimes I can be overzealous, so I'm, I'm going to preach a fairly short sermon today, so stick with me, but, but I want to talk about Isaiah for a couple of minutes because I think it's so rich and so to this point of recognizing that what the Lord is doing in the world is really greater than us, and not to allow our own medical crisis, although we're taking it very seriously to cloud our judgment from the greater picture. Just to quickly catch you up on Isaiah, because we're jumping in at Isaiah chapter 56, and, and there's, uh, there's 65 chapters in Isaiah. Uh, chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah, here's a brief overview, is about God's righteousness and the nations, including Israel's inability to be righteous as God is righteous. Remember, maybe Isaiah 6, where... You know, the prophet has this vision of God and, and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Woe is me, I'm undone. And of course, God brings, puts the coal on his lips and that whole passage. It's all about God's righteousness and our inability to keep that righteousness. Then chapter 40 through 55 is all about the grace of God. And the culmination of that is Isaiah 52, 53, which is where we learn about the suffering servant who was led like a lamb to the slaughter did not open his mouth. The iniquities of us all have been laid upon him. This is obviously foreshadowing. It's, it's prophesying Jesus, the Messiah, who comes not just to be the king of kings, but to give his life for the ransom for the world. And so 
Chapters 40 through 55 are all about the grace of God. Isaiah is like the Himalayas of the Old Testament. It is, it is, the, it is an amazing book. Chapter 56 then comes on the heels of this incredible section of grace to say, what now? We, God is righteous, we're not. God in his grace has, has, has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. What then is to be our response? And that is where the, the, the prophet picks up with chapter 56. Isaiah is a preacher and he knows how to deliver a sermon and he hits them with this powerful word that has got to be jarring after 15 chapters of grace to read these words keep justice and do righteousness for soon my salvation will be revealed blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast who keeps the sabbath not profaning it and keeps his hand from doing what is evil so what does isaiah say the response to grace is obedience not to earn God's favor, but in response to God's favor, in response to grace. So obedience is the response to the grace of God. My Old Testament professor would say, obedience is the evidence of faith. If you truly believe that God is God, you will obey him. You'll seek to do justice and righteousness. And you know, remember back in June when I preached about racial, racial justice and we talked about the idea that we as Christians oftentimes try to separate the words righteousness from justice and they can't be separated. And here they are again, right together. I suggested to you that righteousness is the root, it's the very nature of God to do what is right, the, the, the righteousness of God, and then, and then justice is the fruit. It's the fruit. It's the, it's the living out of, of trying to emulate God and how he would, would, what he would do in our situation. And so the prophet says we're to do justice and righteousness. And, and, and the reason we do that is because God's salvation will soon come. His righteousness will be revealed. It's because it's, it's response to this great righteousness of God. So the, the first point is just to say that this is the call of God's people. To be God's people is to seek to do righteousness and justice. Now, how does Isaiah define that in two ways? First, he talks about keeping the Sabbath, a very specific thing. Every seventh day is to be set aside for the Lord. And then secondly, to avoid doing anything that's evil, which is very abstract. I mean, what, okay, well, what exactly is evil? You know, I mean, there, that's, you know, it's like you get this really, okay, Obey the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath, and then avoid evil. It's like this contrast. But they really go together. To, to, to keep the Sabbath is to, is to have this constant weekly reboot that God is king and you are not. That God is, is, is the creator and therefore he, he rules, he should rule in my life rather than myself. Now we don't, as New Testament Christians, we don't, we don't legalistically keep the Sabbath in the way the Old Testament did, although Christians have done that for a long, long time. Uh, but it's, it's really about setting ourselves in rhythms that remind us that God is God and we are not. And so coming to church, giving sacrificially of our money, giving sacrificially of our time and talents to the work of God, either in the church or from the church, these are all ways that we we remind ourselves that, that the Lord is Lord and we are not. And it's a reminder that we keep the law of God. We, we seek to follow and obey his precepts. And, and then secondly, to avoid evil. 
Isaiah says. That's, well, that's simply to, to, to abhor the things that God abhors, to hate what God hates and to love what God loves. It's not, it's not to create, decide what you think is good and what is evil, but to, but to ground that understanding in the revelation of Scripture, what God says is good and what God says is evil. And we, we've talked about that, and so oftentimes we, we may try to avoid it, but ultimately it's about does the end result of what we do create goodness or does it create evil you know and we we're we're good at letting ourselves off the hook aren't we well I didn't mean it that way (laughs) well but if it created evil if it did in the end it created evil you know Uh, I've been convicted the last few years my my attitude towards politics has always been I don't want to get messed up with all that which is ironic because my son went into politics you know which is funny how God works these things out but um but the reality is that I should care about politics because some politics creates goodness and some politics creates evil. And I should be connected to politics because I should, I should care about those we're electing because in the end, they are going to create policies that either reflect goodness or, or evil. And so I need to be attuned to that. I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm just telling you to vote and get engaged. A long time I said, you know, as a white male, I don't really have to worry about schools and police officers and uh, government officials because it's all going to work out for me. But that's, that's not what, what Isaiah says. He says, be about justice and righteousness. Keep the Sabbath and avoid what is evil. Now, you can apply that as you want. So I'm, so I'm going to leave that there and move on to the second step. Who are called this is the calling to keep justice and righteousness, but who are the calling? Well, that's where Isaiah picks up with verse 3 and goes all the way to verse, through verse 6. And this is, this is to me, the, the, the uniqueness of these verses. How does, how does Isaiah, the preacher, apply this, this truth about keeping righteousness and justice? And he does it by pointing to the least likely, the marginalized, the, the last person that probably the people that are hearing this sermon for the first time would have thought. It's about eunuchs and about foreigners. Interesting, isn't it? And the point that, that Isaiah is making is that it has nothing to do with your bloodline and has nothing to do with you having heirs, having children, but whether or not you keep righteousness and justice. If you do these things, and Paul goes on to, I mean, Paul, Isaiah goes on to explain those things, then, then you will be kept in. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter that you're a dry tree eunuch. It doesn't matter that, that you have joined yourself from outside of the people of God. If you do these things, if to the eunuch, he says in verse 4, if you keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenants, I will give in my house I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name that is better than sons or daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Someone has said that the Ethiopian eunuch, remember that meets Philip on the road uh, in in Acts and and ends up reading Isaiah and saying, you know, why can I I not be baptized and, and becomes a believer in Jesus? That eunuch, if he had been able to have children and been married and would never have, would have been lost to, we, we wouldn't have him recorded here. He's, he's in the book of Acts because he's a eunuch. 
because he was denied something that is natural and that we should desire. We should desire creation and, and relationships and we have to have children or we don't go on as a, as a, as a people. We will not survive. But can I say we, we tend to worship heterosexual marriage and children. We, we, put, we can easily make them idols. And I love the fact that Isaiah chooses the eunuch, the emasculated man, to say that God can give you an inheritance and a monument and a place that's far greater than children. And this is coming from a guy who has three great children and now a grandson and, 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 and daughter-in-law and a son-in-law and probably soon to be another son-in-law. But it's a great reminder to us, and it's a great reminder to, to us as we, as we live out our lives, many of us as married people, but to remind ourselves that God has also called those who are single or those who are married who don't have children, that in the Lord, there is no second class. And that what the Lord can give in place of those otherwise good things is even far greater I love that. I love the fact that Isaiah chooses to use the eunuch to remind us that God's greater good far surpasses anything we sacrifice or anything we give up or anything we don't have in this world. I was recently talking to a young person about sexuality. It's an extremely hard time for a young Christian to be living out a Christian life in the midst of this sort of sexual world we're living in and, and just sort of all the things that are being redefined. And, and, and for me, the, the, the important thing I, I think we came to in the conversation was to say that the one of the things we need to, we need to repent of is that we have, we have worshiped and idolized heterosexual marriage and we've undervalued friendship and we've undervalued all the things that God can give us, even if he doesn't choose to give us a spouse or even if he doesn't give us children. And Isaiah uses that to say they, they have a place in the kingdom and we, don't need, we can't forget them. And I think that's, the, that's Isaiah the preacher saying we can't leave them out, we can't neglect them and we have to understand their special place in the kingdom. And here's Isaiah proclaiming thus says the Lord they have a place they have honor that's even better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Let the reader understand. That was added by Alex. Secondly, he talks about the foreigner. The foreigner who, uh, who themselves have joined, but, they're, but they're, not, they're not of the bloodline of Abraham. They don't come from the line of Abraham. And yet, what does Isaiah say? Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring into my holy mountain and make them a joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Same is true for the foreigner. It's not about bloodline. It's not about offspring. It's about faithfulness to the covenant. Now, it's, this is not a, an inclusive, no matter what you do, you're included kind of a sermon. This is not what Isaiah is preaching, but he's saying to keep the covenant, to pursue righteousness and justice, to keep the 
Sabbath and to avoid which is evil. That is the faithful response to the, the grace of God and, and you will be included. And then he, you know, this is what Jesus quotes when he goes, remember he goes to the temple and he, he, he is, uh, he confronts the money changers and he throws, you know, he knocks over their tables and people say Jesus didn't get mad and or angry and yet here's Jesus, you know, taking the whip and drives them from the temple. And what does he say? My father's house will be a house of prayer for all people. It's this recognition that, that God wants an intimate relationship where we can come in and pray and have fellowship, intimate fellowship with God, that we would know his joy and the joy of that fellowship. Yes, that we'd be able to offer our sacrifices and, and be forgiven, but, but though that's always a means to an end. The end is that we'll have this intimate fellowship with the Lord, that we will, he will bring us to his holy mountain and make them and us joyful in the house of the Lord, the house of prayer. What's the end result of this calling? It's, it's joyful fellowship with the Lord. No matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your past is, if you're faithful to seek his justice and his kingdom, to do righteousness and justice. And oh, by the way, just to remind you, it's God who has been so gracious to us that empowers us to actually do righteousness and justice. It's him working in us through this intimate relationship, but not just for us and not just even for these eunuchs and for these foreigners that are already in. Isaiah ends the passage, verse eight, by declaring that God has even greater plans. He who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. God elects to choose some, not for their inclusion to others' exclusion, but that they would be those who would go out and proclaim his goodness and his joy and his righteousness to the ends of the earth. And Isaiah says, this, this is the righteous response to grace. To lift our eyes up in the midst of all that's going on in our lives and recognize how far and wide is the grace and mercy of God and how widely he has called us to proclaim his goodness, his love for those. He hasn't forgotten the eunuchs. He hasn't forgotten the foreigners. He hasn't forgotten you. And he hasn't forgotten me. And he wants to work in us to let that good truth go to the ends of the earth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.